The following is a King's Chapel, Alaska presentation with Pastor Daniel Bracken. Our passions making disciples of Jesus Christ who fulfill God's call and help us be the personal, powerful, permeating church God's called us to be. For more information, visit kcalaska.com or find us on Facebook. Here's Pastor Daniel. All right, remain standing. Take your Bibles. Turn to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter something, 49. All right. See if I can land this jet. Profound text of scripture in a series, studies in the life of Joseph, entitled it The Prophetic Blessing. Genesis 49. As you're turning there, let me say that there's no way that I can fully preach the entirety and the depth and width and breadth of this text. I'm only going to take 12 verses because I felt like this is, uh, this is what you would need, what I would need, what a, what, a, what a people would need to equip them. You can get bogged down in higher learning, and although I don't want to undermine that. This, this infinite depth to this scripture and the study of the Hebrew and, and putting it all together, it's really these prophecies over the, the 12 tribes. It's absolutely amazing, but I'm just going to pick 12 verses of scripture, give it to you, give you some meat, I hope you brought a steak knife, and then apply it to your life so that when you leave this place, you will be changed. Are you ready? That's, that's, that's the hope. Genesis chapter 49, verse 1. And Jacob called his sons, and he said, Gather together, that I may tell you what shall befall you in the last days. Gather together and hear, you sons of Jacob, and listen to Israel, your father. And stop once again. Jacob and Israel, synonymous, same guy. His name, given name was Jacob. Got a name changed when he got touched by the Lord. And instead of being a deceiver, he became prince of God. So Jacob and Israel, the same. Listen to Israel, your father. Verse 3. Reuben, you're my firstborn, my might, and the beginning of my strength, the excellency of dignity, and the excellency of power. Woo! Verse 4. Unstable as water. Oh. You shall not excel because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. Verse 5. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Instruments of cruelty are in their dwelling place. Let not my soul enter their council. Let not my labor be united to their assembly. For in their anger they slew a man. In their self-will they hamstrung an ox. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. You're like, I thought this was a prophetic blessing. Those are prophetic curses. Here comes the blessing. Judah. Everybody say Judah. Judah. You are he whom your brother shall praise. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's children shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's whelp. For the prey, my son, you have gone up. He bows down. He lies down as a lion. And as a lion, he who shall rouse, shall rouse him. Verse 10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, 
nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes. Everybody say, until Shiloh comes. Until Shiloh comes. And to him shall be the obedience of the people, binding his donkey to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He washed his garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for what you're going to do this morning. Come on, lift your voice and pray that God will speak to you. We ask that you would speak to us, give us living understanding that we'd be transformed, we'd be changed by the preaching of your word that goes forth and doesn't return void. Have your will, have your way. May we receive revelation even now that causes a fiery revolution in our hearts to transform our families, our nation, our town. God, come and do what you love to do in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Blessing, you may be seated. Blessing and curses are real. Blessing and curses are real. They, they are real. How many of you believe in blessings? How many of you believe in curses? You cannot read the scriptures and come away missing that. There are blessings. There are curses. They are real. And if you look in the book of Luke in those final chapters, as Jesus ascended, the last thing he did in his earthly ministry was reach his hands towards his disciples, some 500, lost quite a few between then and the upper room, reached his hands towards the 500 and he blessed them. And many scholars believe he prayed the high priestly blessing found in Numbers, which is that which I pray Every service I close with that. Lord, bless your people. Cause your face to shine upon them. Lift up your countenance towards them. Be gracious to them. Keep them and give them peace. That was a, a blessing that I first heard in my family before I read it in scripture. It was a family blessing in my house. And it's when I became revelation to me about blessing, how blessing is powerful. Blessing is important. Blessing is crucial. I began to do that many, many years ago, far before moving here to Alaska. Last week we talked about in this series and we're coming to a close. There's only just a couple messages left and we'll be done with this series, Studies in the Life of Joseph. What a journey it has been. Last week we talked about Manasseh and Ephraim and how they got adopted by Jacob and Jacob blessed them. What was fascinating to me is the people that reached out to me after that message. I shared a story about how a man of God, really a father to me, a spiritual father, how he prayed over me at his very last days of his life. He had gone to disease. We prayed, we fasted, but he died. We didn't really understand that. I just know God's good, devil, bad. We know that he, provi he provided healing on the cross, so we we contend for that. Does everybody get healed? Yeah, if they're saved, sometimes you have to get your healing in heaven. But we contend for it here in the earth, and we don't understand why it doesn't work out sometimes, at least according to our plan and how people die. But he died. And the week before his death, I went to go see him, and he was not able to see me. He couldn't get off of his bed. He'd been in bed for days. He'd hardly woken up to eat anything. And I just thought to myself, this is impossible. I need him to bless me. I need to see him one more time. And so I went down and I prayed. And when I felt released to go back to the house on that same day, he had gotten up. I said, oh yeah, he's up. 
because I need prayer. I need my, one of my spiritual fathers to pray for me. He was instrumental in seeing my family saved, instrumental in my mother's life, instrumental in my life, my brother's lives. He was Jesus to us. How many of you know some people like that? Amen. He got out of bed and was stirring around. His family was amazed. They're like, he's up. I said, yeah. And so I, I said, can I meet with him? And they said, yeah, yeah, he wants to see you. So I went in and as I told this story last week, he laid hands on my head and wept over me until my entire head and my face were covered in tears with a puddle on the floor. And when I got off of, off of the ground, I was staggering and reeling under a powerful touch of God's Holy Spirit. Something being put in me that I don't even know what it was. And I, I didn't have a phone to record. I didn't have anything to record. But it went in and it happened. And it's recorded even in God's book of remembrance, as it says in, in Malachi, of those who fear him. And I left that place reeling. He died really less than a week later. As I shared that story, I was amazed at how many people wanted me to bless them, pray a, a blessing of a father over them. Those that are, I'm a father to those that are 20 years older than me. I'm not trying to say anything of myself. I'm saying there's a lack of godly fathers and men and women that are looking for them. And we need godly fathers and godly mothers and praying the blessing over your wife, over your husband, over your kids makes all the difference in the world. Learn to do it. If you don't do it, do it from this day. Jacob, Israel, is dying. And he blesses his children. Although, of course, he curses them as well. And that's not for not good reason. So if you look at your text with me, Jacob says to his sons, gather together. It's a very, in the Hebrew, if you look at this, it's very warm. It's everybody knew what was happening, everybody family beating. And they knew he was dying. So he gathers them together, come to me, come, come. And he brings his sons, and it's, this, it's a formal event. It's, an, it's a formal event that Abraham did. It's a formal event that Isaac did. And it's a formal event now that Jacob did. And I would venture to say, I don't know of, I don't, I don't, I've been many times, let me say it this way, many times I've heard stories of the patriarch of the family passing and them gathering the family around them and praying these blessings prophetically over each and every one, especially of spirit-filled families. And what a blessing it is if you could be there when your parent passes on to glory. And even if you're not able to be there when they pass, there's blessings that it can be released if it's been spoken over you, you can receive that. And mantles and all kinds of that. I could tell you testimonies and stories that take the rest of the service. But that is what's taking place. And he gathers them together and he begins to, he begins to prophesy and bless them. Gather together and hear you sons of Jacob. Listen to your father Israel. So everybody knows, okay, here comes the inheritance. Here it goes. This is the last will and testament. You go, here we go. This is it. And he says to his, uh, his firstborn. Now, the firstborn, according to Deuteronomy, would receive double honor and blessing. Now, I'm going to teach you, and then I'm going to preach to you because I won't be able to help myself. But to get the end of this thing, you're going to receive some transformation, I believe, even revelation, as I believe God's given me that for you today. So he talks to Reuben. Reuben, J Jacob's firstborn. And he says this, if you look in the text, Reuben, you're my firstborn, my might, 
and the blessing of my strength, the excellency of dignity and the excellency of power. And as I said in the first service, I'll say again, when you read scripture, don't read it like you're reading some novel. Imagine you're standing there. What would, what would that be like? What would Reuben be like? I'm the firstborn. So he's just like, yes, excellency of power, right? I mean, he's like, yeah, prophesy, dad. You know, that's right. Yes. You know what I mean? That's the picture. He's like, he's getting the big blessing from dad. Power, unlimited power. No, okay. The movie flashback. That's a great part, but that's not what happens. That's what it should have been. He should have gotten a double, poor, double blessing as the firstborn. But instead, he was, he was called unstable water. You're unstable water. You will not excel. All of a sudden, yes! No. You know why? Unstable water, if you look at it, it's really a picture of bubbling water. Reuben was not a man of character. Reuben was a man who could not control his passions. And I remember coming up through our church, I basically got saved in this church, got disciple in church, and became a pastor in this church. Not necessarily, not, not here in Alaska, but back where we've been planted from in Hawaii. I think there was a period of about six months that every time Dr. James Morocco, my pastor, he's still my pastor, every time he laid hands on me, he'd say, he'd lay hands and he'd say, Daniel, and I'd look at him and he'd say, a man of God needs to be in control of his passions. Well, the first time he said it, I was like, yeah, amen, pray for me, right, okay. And the second time I go up for prayer and healing, he prays, healing, all that, and then he says, Daniel, a man of God. <laughs> I mean, it was like four or five times within a period of about five weeks. I'm thinking, I think he's trying to say something to me. Yeah. Reuben could not control his lust. He boiled like water. He, he, he couldn't control his passions. And he had, I mean, he didn't have conviction. You say, where do you get that from? Do you know what Reuben did? Yeah. Does anybody know what Reuben did? Yeah. So he's unstable as water. He will not excel. Write in your notes. He had sex with his father's concubine wife, Billa. And when you read this and you, you look at it, it it's, it's really kind of amazing. You went up to your father's bed, verse 4. You defiled it. You defiled it. And then the, it's, it's as if Jacob, as he's declaring the curse because of what he did, it's as if he just can't believe it. And he says, he went up to my bed with my, my wife. It's like, you see, that you see, he changes the tense. He went up to my couch, is what it says, which is the same thing. So the consequence of Reuben's sin, the consequence of Reuben's pride, is basically <laughs> uh, to be wiped out. He came against Moses. So this is a prophetic curse that you see play out in the tribe of Reuben. And it's a, it's a scary thing. It really is. And, he, and eventually becomes uh, brought into the tribe of Dan, and there really is no tribe of Reuben. He gets, uh, they, get, they get ingested. I don't know how to say that. They get brought into the tribe of Dan. So actually the actions of Reuben cause him to be disqualified from being the man. He was the firstborn, should have had it all, but instead because of his boiling water, his passion, his lust, his pride, he lost everything. Note to self. Note to self, a man of God, a woman of God, must control his...
passions. Amen. Moving on to Simeon and Levi. Well, these guys, Simeon and Levi are brothers, instruments of cruelty are in their dwelling place. It goes on in verse 6, let my soul, let not my soul enter their counsel. Uh, I want you to turn to Genesis 34. Let me read the rest of this. Genesis 34, 28. 34, 28, as I teach you about this text. Let not my soul enter their counsel. Let my honor be united, not let not my honor be united with their assembly. For in their anger they slew a man. And in their self will they hamstrung an ox, cursed be their anger, and he goes on to curse them and, and says that you'll be divided in Jacob and you'll be scattered out in Israel. You can tell what happened with Jacob and Levi, uh, Simeon and Levi, pardon me. So he pronounces this curse. Do you know what these boys did? You all there, Genesis 34. They had a sister. Does anybody know her name? Dinah. They had a sister, her name was Dinah, and they came to this place called Sachem, and the prince of Sachem liked Dinah a lot. Showed a pretty perverted way, because he raped her. And after he raped her, of course, the family found out. Simeon and Levi are so angry that they go to make a, uh, basically a genocidal plan to bring vengeance on them. And they meet with the, they meet with the king, they make a deal with them. Uh, if you join with us and cut covenant with us through circumcision, how many of you know what that is? Yeah. Raise a hand, you know what that is? Okay. Through circumcision, you'll become basically part of Israel. And they say, well, that's uh, pretty steep, but we'll do it. And so they, all the men get circumcised. And while they were healing from their circumcision, Simeon and Levi come and kill them all. They couldn't fight him, and it's not fair. It's not fair at all. They couldn't run real quick, I'm sure of that. Couldn't they jump over a wall? I mean, it's broken. Ah, I mean, it's over. It's a total slaughter. But that's not where it stops. Genesis 34, did you turn there? Genesis 34. Verse 28, it goes on to say what else they did. Now watch this. They took their sheep, their oxen, their donkeys that was in the city and in the field, and all their, all their wealth and all the little ones and their wives took captive, and they plundered even all that was in their houses. And it goes on to say, verse 30, Jacob says, you guys have troubled us. Because if the surrounding places came to their defense, there would be no Israel. They all would have been killed. But that doesn't happen by the grace of God. And we find here this, it's encrypted if you don't study it, here in verse 6 of Genesis 49. Okay, they slew a man, and in their self-will they hamstrung an ox. Here's what they did. They killed all those unhealed circumcised men that said we want to be in covenant so they made covenant with them and then they killed them so that's wicked that's cruel that's violent then what they did is they took their wives took their children took all the stuff in their houses but they didn't stop there they took all the livestock now you would think you take all the livestock to to make yourself more wealthy no they took all the livestock led them out and hamstrung every one of them do you know what that is to ham, to be hamstrung is to cut the back of the tendons of an animal 
and they, they're alive and they leave them there. They're not good for anything. They slaughtered all the animals, not as an act of greed to get money or food. No, they slaughtered them as an act of cruelty, an act of vengeance. And as a result of their heinous sin, they were not to have an inheritance. They got no inheritance. He said, what about Levi? Hey, we're going to get to Levi in just a second because... Simeon is swallowed up, but Levi becomes its own tribe. In fact, how many of you know what happened with Levi? They become the priests. We'll talk about that in just a second. And that brings us to Judah. And Judah is fast. This is fascinating. For in these verses of scripture is a not so encrypted, but to a casual, to a casual reader, you would miss it, not understand it. But in these verses of scripture, the Messiah Jesus is prophesied, and it's absolutely amazing. So let's look at this. Judah, you who, you, pardon me, you are he whom your brothers shall praise. First of all, I, I got to stop and say, Judah was not Mr. Cool, Smooth, Obeyer either. Not a very good guy. Forty years before, approximately, he had given his son to marry, I think it's Tamar, and, and, and the son died. You know, that's horrible. Well, what they had to do in their law is then give a, a kinsman redeemer. That's his second son. So he gives his second son to Tamar, and he dies. So now he's got to give his third one, and he's thinking, oh, I'm not feeling led. Not feeling led to give you my third son and kill him too. So, I mean, we can't really blame him, but he didn't do the right thing by her. He didn't follow the word. And so what, what he did is he like didn't do it. And so here she is, a widow, and she has no husband, and she was to be provided for by the next of kin, but he didn't want to do it because he didn't want to lose son number three. I mean, we can understand that, but it was still wrong. So what she did, which is also wrong, she dresses up like a prostitute. That's hard to not just pick on that in our culture for a second, but... Anyway, she's probably wearing the modern dress that most women wear today. Anyway, not here, of course. Amen. You're all the paragon of virtue and modesty. Amen. Come on, smile at me and say, yeah, praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, okay, so she dresses up like a prostitute. I mean, really. And Judah's walking by, and he, he's captured by her. He sleeps with her, and she takes his staff as a pledge, a signet ring as a pledge. So when he comes back, he was going to take care of it, pay his bill, and the girl's gone. It's Tamar, his daughter-in-law, and he doesn't even know it. She gets pregnant. I mean, you don't have to read Days of Our Lives. Just read the Bible, man. <laughs> Days of the idiots. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to stay on point. I got some wisecracker things to say, but anyway. <laughs> so he, she keeps the signet ring and the, and the staff, and then she, of course, now she's pregnant. And when they discover that she's pregnant, it's just like, you, 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 ho, oh, you, you. 
That's what they do. She's in serious trouble. Who did this? How could you bring disgrace on the family? And, he, and she's like, swing. Brings out the staff and the signet ring, and Judah's like, oh. <laughs> Judah was not Mr. Righteous. That's what he did. But yet we see this prophecy that comes. It's absolutely amazing. It's super encouraging to me because though we have all fallen short of the glory of God, God by his grace can reach in, reach through, and bring something glorious through the line of Judah would come in the Messiah. Let's, let's, let's look at this. Judah says you're going to be a leader. You'll be well praised, right there, verse 8, by your brothers. You'll have victory over your enemies. Your, I love that your, your hand will be on their, on their neck, or is it your foot? Where is it? Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. You'll be a leader among, among your brothers. You'll be a ruler of the domain of Israel like a lion is of his territory, verse 9. That's beginning to prophesy. Does anybody know? Wrong. Close. David is beginning to prophesy about David. And, and, and the line of the tribe of Judah, of course, is double prophecy talking about the Messiah. But in this instance, it's talking about David. You can say both. David and the Messiah. But the scepter would not depart from Israel. Uh, or, or Pardon me. Let's read it. Where are we? <laughs> The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet till Shiloh comes. So he's prophesying that through Judah, even though he failed, even though he was not the greatest guy. I mean, it, it, was, it was Judah's idea to sell Joseph. And yet, it was also Judah's idea to give his life Benjamin, if you go back and look at it. Yeah. So he's willing to become a slave. Is there any, does that, that ring true? It's a, it's a, it's a, a picture of Christ. He was rich, yet he became poor for our sake that we might become rich. He, he divested himself out of glory and walked into this sewer that we call the world. He stepped into the earth and put on robes of flesh and walked for 33 and a half years, died a, a cruel criminal's death so that you could be free, so that you could be healed, so that you can be delivered, so that you can walk in freedom and wholeness and become a new creation. Judah was going to give his life so he could be a slave, so Benjamin could go free. It's a picture of Christ. Amen. And so now here he's saying, that through you, the scepter shall not depart from Judah. And that's really where the promise that you hear David say that something, someone from David's line will be on the throne forever. That's where this is where it originates from. And it goes on to say, nor a lawgiver from between his feet. They had a scepter that, would, that, that, a, that a king would hold between his feet as a picture of when they made the decision. That's that scepter. It's ruling. It's lawgiving. That it wouldn't depart until Shiloh comes. Whoa, what's that about? Well, you could spend a long, I spent a rather lengthy period of time studying this verse. I read all kinds of commentaries. I looked at Hebrew and looked at the, the Latin Vulgate. I, I pulled this thing apart. I mean, you can, there's all kinds of opinions on what it means. Some say, some commentators say, well, it's talking about Shiloh and that this Shiloh was a town and Shiloh was the place of the spiritual headquarters. How many of you know that the Ark of the Covenant was at Shiloh for a period of time? But it doesn't make sense. It doesn't. 
You see, really, if you study and you look at this, this, this Shiloh is denoting the Messiah. It, it means the peaceful one is what, until the peaceful one comes. Who's the peaceful one? The man of peace. And the Latin Vulgate translates it, he who is to be sent. He, so a lawgiver will not depart until he who is sent. It's a picture that there'll, there'll always be someone from the line of Judah on the throne of Israel until the ultimate king comes and takes his place. And then that'll be it. And if you read the rest of the verses of scripture, it's talking about the messianic reign. So when you read this, it's an amazing prophetic word. First of all, in relation to David, I think it's 600 years before he ever is on the earth. You have to be a special kind of, you have to be really special to read scripture and come away with an understanding that that's just man, man wrote that book, it contradicts itself. If when people say that, I try not to laugh out loud, but it's really an admission of their own foolishness, stupidity, and lack of education, and ability to actually want to study and know it. See, people say, well, I'm searching, I'm seeking. Yeah, until you find out actually something that condemns you, then you don't want to seek that so much, so you can, do, you can put that aside and be like, I'm seeking, I'm seeking. <laughs> I'm seeking. I'm seeking. Yes, until you find out you're condemned to hell because of your sin. Let me seek something else. Let me seek something else. Oh, God's word. Not all of that's true. It's just a book. This is a prophecy that's absolutely profound. It's profound. And I've just taken these 12 verses, and we're going to apply this to our lives. I've taken these 12, not all of the, you can look through it all. You could study this thing for weeks, the prophecies that are over the different tribes. But the Messiah would come from Judah, and there'll be great prosperity and blessing is what that talks about, and it's a messianic reign. It's a picture of the second coming. All right, pastor, what are you talking about? That's all cool and stuff, I think. What does it mean for me? I'm glad you asked. What's God saying to us? Very simply. The first thing is this. Write in your notes. What's God saying to us? Number one. Or A. Our destiny and the destiny of our descendants, those who come after us, our children, our children's children, should the Lord tarry. Our destiny, the destiny, the destiny of our descendants are affected by our behavior. The, the way that you live will impact the next generation. And I've seen a sloppy agape where people, agape is it's unconditional love. I've seen people just say, well, God loves me and I can just do what I want to do. You can do what you want to. You might have demons tormenting you and, and tormenting your, your, your kids. You know, you can do whatever you want. Well, the blessings of God are contingent really upon obedience. Of course, you can't take away the death and cru the crucifixion, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We have no blessing without that, but then we have our part to play in obeying him and, and not receiving the grace of God in vain. Yes. See, many people receive Jesus, but they don't really know what that means. He's touched them, and they prayed the, the simple sinner's prayer, which is absolutely powerful in one moment, translated out of darkness into the kingdom of his light through praying a very simple, you really have to pray it. That's a recipe we have. When you come to a revelation, 
that he died for you and you deserve death and you receive him, boom, that's it. However that's expressed in your heart towards God, you beget saved. Religion can't save you. You get baptized with water, still go straight to hell. Going to church every Sunday ain't going to get you into heaven. It's only by believing on Jesus. Only Jesus. That's it. Believing on him that he died and rose again and confessing your sins to him. Right? But then many people stop right there and they don't really learn to walk it out. Don't learn to resist the devil. Don't learn to obey. Don't really get discipled. Stay in the quagmire of their torment, hoping that God one day comes and sets them free. I got news for you. If you're addicted today, you're afflicted today, you're in depression today, you're battling some sickness today, some infirmity, understand and know this. According to the word of God, you have been set free. You have been delivered. You have been healed. You go, well, how come I don't see? How about you just need to stand up, rise and shine and let the glory of the Lord rise upon you and begin to walk in a dimension of a new creation not the old thing but the new thing cleansed from the former things now used for noble purposes God wants to set you on fire and he wants you to be used as a trophy of his grace but it doesn't just happen because you got on some pew today you have to get discipled you got to grow you got to learn you got to learn to pray you got to learn to abide you got to control your passions instead of being boiling water and hoping for the blessing to come I'm preaching better than you're amen. Come on, somebody say hallelujah. So watch your behavior. Reuben blew it because of what he did. Simeon and Levi blew it because of what they did. Except Levi, oh, Levi has a great redemption, and that brings us to the next point. We can be redeemed. What are you talking about with Levi? Well, even though they killed the freshly circumcised men, hamstrung the animals, and did cruelty and violence and vengeance, Levi, the tribe of Levi, when Moses, according to their time clock, took a little bit too long from coming down the mountain, they decided to have a party unto the Lord. And they really thought it was the Lord. They, they really did. I mean, you can go and study that. It's kind of like, how could you think a golden calf brought you out? But in actual study of this festival they had, it was to YHWH, to the Tetragrammatron. Now, let me just tell you, that is Lord and Lord only, Lord God Almighty. It can be nothing else. It's, they didn't think they were having a festival to some idol calf. You see, it was one of the deities of Egypt, and they were raised with that. It was constantly in their sight, constantly seeing all this. So they got all the gold, and Aaron lies. He's like, I don't know. I put the gold in, and this is what came out. You're a liar. You fashioned that thing. He just straight lies. And they all start worshiping this golden calf, thinking it's the Lord. You can read Romans 1 on this. If you don't learn the word, you'll worship a God of your own understanding of what you think he should be like. And there's lots of people that think God should be like some certain way. And according to whatever coffee grinds you have in your filter, that's what you get coming out the other side. That's why you got to get renewed. You got to get changed. You got to get the word. That's why you got to come to understanding and really deep down and know who God is based on his word. Not what you feel like. Not what your cousin told you. Not what you heard from some other preacher. You got to know the word. They were invited 
wanted to come up the mountain, but they wouldn't go. No, no, no. You go, Moses. We're scared. Yeah, you're scared because you're sin. That's why. And, and he's going to come like fire. And then what are you going to do? So they sent him. He comes down with the Ten Commandments. They're having an orgy, thinking that's how you worship God. You see this today. Romans 1. Go read it. And so Moses comes down. He's totally upset. He's like, ah, what are you doing? And he takes these tablets of the Ten Commandments written by the finger of God. He throws them to the ground and he breaks them and he pronounces basically judgment on them. And he says, who's on the side of the Lord? And the tribe of Levi says, I'm on his side. I'm on. And nobody else did. And the tribe of Levi then slaughtered these people that wouldn't come on the side of the Lord. And God says to them, he says through Moses, because you stood with me, you will become a priest to me. And scattered, look at this says, it says scattered throughout all of Israel. Do you know that it, Levites were to be in every single tribe scattered throughout all of Israel and, and they didn't have a, their own land. You know what they had instead? He said, your inheritance will be me. Whoa. I'll take God as an inheritance before a piece of property any day of the week. So what's the point, Pastor? The point is, though you might have done heinous, horrible things, maybe even acted in violence and, and crime or wherever you've been, God can redeem you by the blood of the Lamb that comes from the lineage of Judah. Come on, somebody say amen. Fourthly, thirdly, just making sure you're paying attention, C. We can live blessed. We can live blessed. And that blessing can be passed down. We can live blessed and the blessing can be passed down. I remember studying a passage of scripture. It's, it's, it's in the Old Testament. It's in the Bible. Hezekiah was his name. I think Hezekiah, right? Hezekiah. Uh, Hezekiah was in the lineage of Judah and the lineage of David. And Hezekiah failed. And so judgment comes from the prophet. And the judgment is this. You're going to lose everything, but not, not in your generation because of your father, David. I mean, I, I need to go look again. I mean, it's like 300 years or something. It's like 300 years. His father, David, that's 300 years ago. Go look, go, go study. I don't know the exact math on that, but I mean, it's like generations before because of your father, David. It's not going to happen in your lifetime. It is going to happen in the lifetime of your children. And this, this fool of a king, this fool of a king says, oh, it's not in my lifetime because of my father, David? What is it, my children? And he says, yeah, your children are going to be all eudics. He's like, Phew. woo. Praise the Lord. What kind of a demented grandparent? What kind of special, what selfishness? What cons consumed with his own lust? Consumed with every, as long as everything's okay with me, man. Every, no, no, no. It ain't about you. You're going to die. So am I. You know what it's about? It's about the next generation. You can live blessed and that blessing can be passed on to the next generation. Be sure to do it. He said, well, Pastor, I came from a long line of idol makers. 
Well, you don't have to be an idol maker yourself. Change. Study, know the word. Learn to come up the mountain. Stop making golden calves. Lastly, God has blessed us all through the gift of his son who came through and was prophesied here. Shiloh, the sent one. Hundreds and hundreds, thousand years before he ever came. The thing about God and his word is amazing that right at the fall of mankind, what's called the proto-evangelum is declared, which is this. The curse comes on, on Satan. He says, you crawl on the belly, your belly all your life. You be a snake. And he said, and you'll strike the, 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 the seed of the woman. You will strike his heel, but he will crush your head. You study that, it's talking about seed. How many of you know what seed is? It's talking about offspring, the offspring of a woman, but it's the offspring, just one singular offspring. There's one woman that's going to be one seed that's going to crush the head of Satan. Right in Genesis at the fall of mankind, this now picks up and says it again, that out of Judah will come Shiloh, a sent one, the man of peace. And then it talks about the blessings that'll flow because of the, the, the messianic reign. Come on, somebody say hallelujah. The great gift is that Jesus has come to die for you and die for me. And though you might have messed up and blown it, Galatians 3 says that, we, that he became a curse for us. Thanks for listening to King's Chapel, Alaska and Pastor Daniel Bracken. Our passion is making disciples of Jesus Christ who fulfill God's life call and help us to be the personal, powerful, and permeating church God's called us to be. Get in touch with us anytime at 907-357-2065, 907-357-2065, or online at kcalaska.com, kcalaska.com. Friend us on Facebook and follow Pastor Daniel's tweets at Alaska Revival.